Welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. I'm producer and host Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is produced in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. Meet Tian Van Der Porten, Executive Director, ESG Advisory Services, KPMG Canada, who joins me on the mic with an interview that pulls apart ESG letter by letter and then puts it back together again with a clear articulation of the modern imperatives that every retailer needs to understand and master to be the employer of choice and compete and win with today's consumers. Dan, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Michael. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. I'm happy to have you on the mic. We had a couple of little gremlins over the past uh, week, but we have solved them. You sound amazing. So we're all <laughs> set. We're, we're re- we are ready to go. I've been looking forward to this for, for literally for, uh, for several weeks. So thanks again for joining me on the mic. Um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell, me, tell us, tell the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and, and what you do for a living. Thanks. I'm super happy to be here. So thanks very much for having me on your podcast. This is very exciting. Um, I am the executive director for ESG services at KPMG Canada and also the regional consumer and retail industry lead. I'm also a member of the Retail Council of Canada's ESG working group. And I have about 20 years of experience working across industries, mostly developing and enhancing strategies and roadmaps to, adjust, uh, to address ESG and climate related risks and opportunities. Now you have a looking at your LinkedIn. You have a deep background in in ESG. Um, how did you find yourself in that path? I mean, sometimes they present the opportunity presents itself. Like, did you were you always interested in this broad topic, or did you just kind of find your way looking at the opportunity and the and the evolution and the uh, and the the development of this category? Like, you know, when you're in school, did you want to be in business? If we start there, and and just talk about that a little bit. Um, actually, when I was in school, I had a, always had a fascination for environmental issues. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I did get my um, first graduate degree in environmental studies with a business and sustainability specialty. But mm-hmm. then when I started working for a large uh, food retailer at the time, I realized very quickly that you can't do much with just an environmental perspective for business to actually elicit change in business. You have to speak the language. So mm-hmm. I went back and did my MBA and I found it was a really great combination of having both the environmental Mm. studies background as well as the business background so that you could um, sell your points clearly to uh, leadership in an organization. I started more on the uh, carbon trading side of things Mm. and Mm. kind of worked my way through energy policy over to the retail side and did Mm. some real estate as well and then worked for um, an ESG risk rating provider as well. Uh, So I definitely have many different perspectives um, from different angles. So I think that's really helped us develop my, our team here at KPMG. Well, it's super interesting, right? I mean, a, a, you know, a generation ago, there was not your job. And I mean, that's why I just kind of, I'm just kind of delving into a little bit of your background just for people to understand uh, how you developed your expertise. Let's talk briefly about KPMG. Um, you know, everybody, I can't imagine many people would uh, not know of KPMG, but they may not know the scope and scale, particularly in Canada, and then zero in on the on the ESG practice. What does that look like and what what's its scope and scale? KPMG is a global organization providing audit, tax, and advisory services. Um, and in Canada, we have 47 offices and almost 10,000 employees now and provide services for 2,400 retailers in Canada and 76% of the retail sector companies on the Fortune 1000 in U.S., making us the leading provider to the retail sector in Canada and globally. 
In particular, in ESG, we have about a thousand SMEs globally who provide ESG and climate transformation and value creation support, um, as well as reporting and assurance services to help companies at every stage of their ESG journey. Nice. And and for the listeners, the SME is a subject matter expert, right? Have I got that right? Yes, that's right. Sorry. There's a You're lot a of SME. acronyms in this business. <laughs> Well, let's, well, let's talk about let's talk about another acronym. Three letters, big scope. Uh, let's take it a letter at a time. ESG, break it down for us because uh, you know it's one of those terms that I think everyone has heard. But uh, let's put some definition and let's put some parameters around it. Sure. Uh, so E is environmental issues, um, and those could be anything from climate change, sustainable products, sustainable packaging, water waste, circularity. S is social, so there are any issues related to communities, diversity, equity, and inclusion, talent and culture, human rights, labor practices, for example. And the G is the governance, so looking at issues there such as corporate governance, ethical behavior, um, risk management, business resilience, and privacy and data security. All right, so let's 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 take one on and a little bit with a follow up question for each. So the environmental, like there is a lot of work going on. We see it in the paper every day. It's kind of a eclectic and some a little bit esoteric around environmental policy. How much of your work is on advising and your team uh, advising on compliance to the money governmental? I mean, it's municipal, provincial, and federal. So it's <laughs> I'm glad you have forty seven yeah. offices because it's very complex. <laughs> Um, you know, stakeholder relations and just, just, you know, laws compared to leadership to get ahead and, and benefit with their customers. So talk about the environmental practice a little bit. Sure. I dare our work involves both the, on the compliance side and the strategy side. Compliance regimes and climate disclosure standards have not yet been finalized. However, many companies come to us to understand and really get ahead of compliance regulations and requirements. Um, and then on the other hand, companies also reach out for support on other ESG and climate objectives, um, for example, to develop climate strategies, uh, mm. to determine gaps in best practices, um, things like that as well. So I'd say it's definitely a good balance of both. Uh, sometimes compliance gets them in the door and then um, right. we help them more on the strategy side as well. Right. So sometimes compliance keeps them out of trouble, but that's just kind of a starting point, right? That's kind it's of more like, of a starting point yeah, to really yeah. understand any major blind spots that a company has. Right. Do you, do you see that as, as, I mean, there's table stakes and then there's differentiators. Uh, do you see, where do you see that fitting in? I mean, I guess at one point it's just table stakes, but can you be a differentiator in, in ESG and particularly around the environment? I think you can be a differentiator um, 100%. And it's interesting because I would say a lot of the clients that we're getting right now are very curious to see um, what their stakeholders are expecting in terms of mm. investors, community, customers, and more increasingly, their employees. But there's also a lot of interest in seeing what their peers are doing. So I find we do a lot of gap analysis on <clears throat> how the current company is performing based on uh, their own performance in comparison to peers. So then once they see those gaps, I think it's up to the client to understand whether they want to sure. be part of that pact and go with them, or do they want to mm. stand out and go above and beyond that to really the best practices in the industry. And we help clients determine what those best practices are for their industry and um, help them figure out what ambition level they're interested in achieving. Oh, I like that. The ambition level. I mean, whether you want to be a fast <laughs> follower or a leader, right? Yeah, there's, there's, exactly. There's, uh, there's, there's money or 
capital or personal capital to be spent in both. Let's talk about social for a bit. How is how is the social positioning of firms working uh, for retailers? I, you know, retailers are uh, every day tell me that uh, finding and keeping great people is uh, is important, and culture starts you know above compensation. They all kind of adjust compensation and do what they need to do. But uh, what are you seeing and what are you hearing in terms of um, you know being a good social? actor is playing what role is that playing do you think with uh, employ- uh, retailers and, and acquiring and retaining their their people research research has actually shown that it is a big component of it um, employee retention has been correlated with corporate sustainability a recent MIT article stated that embedding climate and sustainability across an organization and its decision making can improve employee retention and talent attraction, as well as employee satisfaction. So really what we're seeing is the bottom line is that companies aligned with personal values are being sought mm-hmm. as employers, as well as companies who value diversity, equity, inclusion, and well-being. Right. So the, people are migrating more to those with, uh, to be employers of choice. And, and part of being an employer of choice is to have that, you know, th- that element kind of both well of buttoned down. values. But, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well articulated too, right? I mean, it, it, I mean that's part of a challenge is how do you articulate it and not look like you're I don't know what, what's the right word boasting, um, right? How do you establish that? I'm, I'm sure you hear that from from your clients is I want to be I want to make sure I'm where I need to be, but I also don't want to brag about it because then it also it feels like it takes right. it a step backwards. Is that is that a fair statement? Yes, that's a fair statement. Um, and I think wait, maybe the word you're not trying to say is greenwashing. And then there's definitely <laughs> a lot of uh, yeah. media attention on that right now of, of what companies should uh, be saying or what they are saying in comparison to mm-hmm. what they're actually delivering. Um, so what we encourage companies and clients to do is definitely to be cautious of what you are stating and stay away from more of that storytelling, um, mm. cloud, you know, up in the sky sort of conversations and focus more on uh, what are your actual targets? What are your metrics? What do you actually believe in? And how are you demonstrating that you are doing what you say you're doing? So on the employee um equity and diversity side, if you say that you really believe in DEI and then you look at their reports and you realize, no, this is actually, there's no diversity in leadership, then you're not actually practicing what you preach. So it's good to always make sure what you're stating, you're backing it up with evidence. Um, Let's pivot a little bit to talk about sustainability. Um, We're all trying to get our arms around it one way, shape or another. Sometimes it's one step forwards, two steps back and in between science and what we do and, and, you know, initiatives that you call, you know, you mentioned greenwashing, but, you know, we, we worry about initiatives that don't take in the full life cycle, maybe too simplistic. And yet if it's too complex, it kind of overwhelms consumers. Like, do we understand what our North Star is that the point of arrival and sustainability? How do you think about that? Our ultimate North Star is attaining the world's most important climate goal, which is limiting the Earth's warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. So actual progress and change to meet this target in terms of a lower carbon or net zero transition should be in business plans. Well, let's, let's unpack those business plans a little bit around sustainability initiatives. I mean, there's, there's both um, focus on how retailers do business with their partners and how they do business with the consumers. So what are the key initiatives for retailers that will actually make a difference, move to that North Star you know, is electrifying the delivery fleet? Is it achievable? Is it a worthy goal? Do we understand, is electric truly better than, 
you know, carbon uh, gas, uh, fast chargers for consumers in parking lots to encourage EVs. What really matters? And what are you hearing? And, and what's your advice? Three key initiatives that make a difference to partners and consumers. You're correct. The first one is EV chargers in retailer parking lots. Mm-hmm. Really, with 74% of new car sales in North America predicted to be electric by 2040, accommodating this will be increasingly important to retailers. Um, there are case studies that have shown that retail dwell times increased due to EV charging sessions and provided increased revenue. Mm-hmm. So that is addressing both on the partner side and the consumer side in terms of addressing customers' evolving expectations of having charging as an amenity mm-hmm. and also progressing towards the low-carbon economy and improving retail brand value and revenue. Uh, a second initiative is replacing physical samples with digital tools. So we're definitely seeing a move towards digitalization. Businesses can produce less waste by implementing Mm. augmented reality, for example, to help consumers make more informed but less wasteful purchasing decisions. Um, For example, there's apps to virtually visualize products in your home or try on clothes, things like that. Mm. And a third one I would say is disclosing repairability ratings, as we've seen in France. So that's transitioning away from planned obsolescence and support a more circular economy Mm. by encouraging wholesale suppliers and retail companies to introduce a repair rating. So that would be really as part of the product's labeling um, for tech products, for example, such as smartphones and TVs showing how repairable that item is. Mm, That's an interesting one. Um, You know, I got to think the the whole rewiring, literally and figuratively, of of how we power our automobiles has got to be something lots of retailers are thinking about because, uh, you know, I was in LA a couple of weeks ago and you know, I, I was looking at four or five people. Some were working out. Some were, you know, had their laptops open, all waiting to get their car charged. And it, it's really, you know, even convenience stores are going to be just restructured, right? You must be very busy on that that one single element of the file, yeah? Definitely. Electrification is a huge issue, and it's definitely part of the transition to a lower carbon mm-hmm. economy. Now, a couple of retailers, actually this week, I think on both sides of the border here and in the U.S. announced the first electric vehicles in their, in their fleet in terms of distribution, like in the supply chain, right? These big vehicles that are now, and I think Tesla's got some and some other providers. Are you, are you optimistic that uh, we can actually make a dent in the next foreseeable future with, with that kind of electrification of the supply chain? Well, I do not have my crystal ball in terms of how big of a dent it will make, but for mm. sure, changing the uh, fleets, own fleets over to electrification will make a big dent in retailers' own greenhouse gas emissions footprint because transportation is such a big part of emissions uh, for retailers and for the supply chain. Mm. They're definitely looking at how to um, convert their fleets to electric vehicles will make a big difference. Yeah, interesting, right? All right, well, let's let's talk about consumers for a bit. Um, you know, consumers talk a big game around sustainability. They say it's important in all the surveys. But, you know, they do continue to shop from certain online retailers with highly questionable sustainability track records. How do we, how do we square this circle? This is not new, by the way. I mean, I was in the disposable cup business 30 years ago, and, and you know, we were talking about how consumers, some made decisions solely on environmental issues. Some couldn't care less. And that, you know, where that bell curve was moving to the, you know, making decisions with environmental um, issues in, inside or wrapped around the decision. How do, you, how do you see this? This It's not new, but how do we explain this paradox in consumer attitudes and behaviors? And, and do you see it changing over time enough to really, you know, to really make it meaningful for retailers? 
that's I've actually heard the same uh, comment throughout my career as well as mm-hmm. uh, one half of the world will say people won't spend more money for it, even though they want it. And the other half says it's so important to us that we will spend more money on this. But I don't actually think there is a, a paradox. And there are some recent reports um, produced by First Insight and the Baker Retailing Center at the Wharton School of uh, the University of Pennsylvania, where the Gen Z consumer has now outsized influence on their Gen X parents and their boomer mm. grandparents when it comes to sustainable shopping. So 90% of Gen X consumers said that they would be willing to spend an extra 10% or more for sustainable products, uh, which has grown tremendously in the last two years. So Gen Z's influence will only increase as the younger members of this cohort grow into adulthood. So Mm. what we are predicting is that by 2030, Gen Z will represent um, a larger portion of the world's income, probably between 20 and 30%, surpassing Mm -hmm. millennials. Um, So that will, I think, continue to drive that there will be a continued focus on purchasing sustainable products. Yeah, I mean, and and I guess recycling, uh, re- Full circle retail also falls in that, right? Where, uh, I mean, I, I Canada Goose just announced, for example, they've started a, a product where they're going to resell um, vintage or used Canada Goose jackets. So they're kind of getting in the game. So that's probably a, a good a good indicator of uh, some positive momentum for sure. Last question for you. Two starts. It's kind of a three-part question, I guess. Uh, last uh, question. Two starts. One-stop advice for retailers when it comes to ESG. That's a big question for you. But, you know, when you say, listen... If you're not doing, maybe you're doing these things are kind of, you got to start doing these things. And the stop advice is more like maybe it doesn't work anymore, or maybe it's something you commonly see and you say, you know, maybe you shouldn't do more of this. Any thoughts on that? I'd say do assess ESG and climate-related risks and opportunities as soon as possible if you haven't already started along that journey. Mm -hmm. For example, evaluate circular economy as a revenue model that minimizes resource use and waste. I second, do assess additional ways to connect with consumers with the changing socioeconomic landscape. So as Mm. we mentioned, EV charging stations, um, also things such as product refill stations and more transparent product labeling and tracing. And I would say do more of uh, Mm. instead of stop, but ensure Mm -hmm. ESG and climate claims are clear accurate, substantiated, and verifiable. Mm. So really an example of that is to try and establish and enforce an internal process on ESG claims, um, including how they can be made and who's responsible and accountable for those claims. And for all, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, and I was going to say, and and show more than tell. I mean, basically, which which was your advice earlier in, right? It's in other words, uh, to avoid looking boastful, just say, listen, here's here's examples of what we're talking about versus a long, long report that maybe a few people will will read, but, um, you know, exactly. it's essential, but at the same time, you know. Stick to the facts and, and less storytelling. Stick to the facts and less storytelling. There you go. <laughs> I like that. And I would say for all of these, KPMG yeah. is definitely here to help you sure. regardless of whatever stage you're at on your ESG journey. Well, that, that's a good uh, segue into my last question. Where can listeners go to get in touch with you or learn more about uh, about what KPMG is doing? Are you a LinkedIn person? Is that a good way to get a hold I of you? I am on LinkedIn and always happy to chat with anyone. And our KPMG ESG webpage lists our services and our contacts as well. And we have a lot of thought, thought leadership um, and some help there for you as well. So definitely check us out on our webpage and you can find me on LinkedIn. 
All right. Well, I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. Uh, Tan, thanks so much for joining me on the Voice of Retail podcast. Always interesting discussion. You've got a fascinating background, I think, right for the time and uh, doing interesting work. So uh, congratulations, continued success uh, to you and the team. And, and thanks again for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Voice of Retail. If you haven't already, be sure and follow on your favorite podcast platform so new episodes will land automatically every Friday. And check out my other retail industry media properties, America's top retail industry podcast, Remarkable Retail with Steve Dennis, and the Global E-Commerce Leaders Podcast. Last but not least, if you're into barbecue, check out my YouTube barbecue show, Last Request Barbecue. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, growth consultant and keynote speaker. If you want more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn. Until then, safe travels, everyone. 